Welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and I do hope you're enjoying the interviews I've been sharing. One of my goals is to put out a new episode every week and keep getting better at interviewing and producing the show. Please share any feedback you have, and if you can figure out how to do it, leave me a rating and review on iTunes. That could help others find this podcast and inspire them to take a chance and give it a try. And if you are listening to this through an app on your phone, be sure to visit austinarttalk.com on your computer to get the full effect of each episode's webpage and to follow the links provided that are relevant to the guests and what we talk about. Michael Anthony Garcia is a multidisciplinary artist, independent curator, and activist here in Austin, Texas. Whether he is curating a show of someone else's work, doing a live performance interacting with a video and audience, or presenting a one-man exhibit made up of sculptures created from old clothing and furniture, Michael is sharing with us his passion and what drives him to be an artist as he attempts to make a positive difference in his life and community and the world as a whole, highlighting those who are marginalized, unseen, and underappreciated. I have been following his work for years, and we have had short conversations at many different art events, but we had never really spoken in depth. As I've said before, one thing that I really love about interviewing people is the chance to spend time with them and make a connection that I then hope translates to the listener. I had no idea that Michael and I are the same age and have so many things in common, like struggling with asthma growing up. Learning everything that I did on and off the recording makes his work even more powerful and relevant. So here is Michael. Well, Michael, thanks for being on my podcast. Thanks for having me. So I'm wondering, I guess the question I ask a lot of people to start out is when you meet someone for the first time and they ask mm-hmm. you about yourself or what you do, what do you tell them? Well, nowadays, I, I mean, I'm really conscious about focusing on my art career. Yeah. Um, I also am a teacher. Uh, that's my day job. And for the longest time, I used to say that in conjunction with, with being an artist. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I don't try to hide it now. But I, I really want to kind of, for me, it's like it's an intention, setting my mind to like, okay, you are an artist and you need to, you know, be public about it. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I usually just, you know, I say a, a multidisciplinary artist, independent curator. Mm-hmm. And lately I've been feeling more comfortable adding the word activist. Oh, okay. To, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things right now to be active about. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> feel activated to buy <laughs> i'm wondering if it in a way is it not a good thing i, I do mean, even though it's painful sometimes. yeah yeah you know we all have different levels of, of privilege and you know unfortunately you know i'm a citizen a natural born citizen and um i'm male and so I have, to, I have to kind of check those things yeah um so some of these things do not affect me personally but still you know i want to kind of be aware and yeah guess it's good because it's activating some people, mm-hmm. but I also want to like keep in the back of my mind, like, okay, you need to mm-hmm. just keep, keep being open. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of reassessing and mm-hmm. trying to figure out where you fit in or mm-hmm. do you have some ideas, preconceived ideas about way things are, way you are stories that you have to kind of reevaluate? Uh, yes. I mean, being a Latinx uh, person, Especially now, I have uh, dual citizenship. Mm. Uh, yeah, I just got that, so I'm 
officially Mexican American. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I wasn't thinking about this at the time, but I'm like, okay, well, how is this going to affect me when I travel and I'm coming back into the country? Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm making a trip soon to, to Mexico in, in February. So we'll see what, what that's like coming back. <laughs> well, what was that process like? That's a very intentional thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my, my mom uh, was born in Mexico mm-hmm. and so she has her dual citizenship. And so I got it through her. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what's the importance of that having that or, um, it was actually a lot more impactful than I thought it would be. Hmm. I've always, you know, considered myself, especially when I was younger, I referred to myself as Mexican American. I think that's just kind of, uh, the verbiage has, has kind of changed over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of geared more now towards, you know, being Latino or okay. Latinx or, you know, or Hispanic if you're from Spain. Yeah. But yeah, for some reason now I'm being able to officially call myself that is, was pretty impactful. Um, got a little emotional during the whole process when it was done. I mean, it was... A lot quicker than I thought it'd be. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Like, it hasn't changed me, but it, in a way, it kind of has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. powerful. <laughs> so, I guess thinking about that uh, makes me think of, yeah, where you were born and kind of the mm-hmm. beginning of your life and the path to now. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe give me an idea? Definitely. Yeah. Your art influences mm-hmm. or your, why you're an artist now? Yeah. Uh, I was born and raised in El Paso. Uh, went to school in Sherman, Texas, at a small liberal arts school called Austin College. Mm-hmm. There's about 1,200 students, about an hour north of Dallas. Very small community. The art department, uh, when I started, with, consisted of three professors. Mm-hmm. One who did painting and drawing, one who did photography, one who did ceramics and sculpture. And then they alternated teaching the different art history courses. They eventually added an art historian, so there's four now. And super small facilities, um, but it was so personal that like that was really really impactful on my my path for sure. So that's where it started in college, not before yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I'd always made things growing up. I was always using my hands and creating things, but I never considered it art. You know, I grew up in a family where we, we did go to museums and um, you know we had an appreciation of the arts. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I just never like saw myself with with that label. I, I tell the story of like, I remember the first time making something, I think I was like four years old and I had seen a cuckoo clock on some TV show mm-hmm. and I was like, I want one. And so I decided I was going to make one. And so yeah. I got a cardboard box and I drew a circle on it for the clock face. And, you know, I'd learned my numbers at that point. So I put the numbers, I probably put too many numbers on it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I made the the little doors and my sister had a wind up Woodstock doll from, yeah. uh, from Snoopy. Uh-huh. And so I put him in there. He was the cuckoo. And I remember vividly like hanging on the wall and like being like, oh, this is so cool. Wow. <laughs> but, you know, looking back now, I'm like, I've always been making stuff. So um, I went to Austin College and first semester I was like, I don't know what I want to do. At that point, I had been doing a lot of music, actually. Okay. And I was like, well, maybe school isn't for me and I can just quit and focus on music. And um, second semester, a friend of mine was taking the intro art course in the curriculum there. And I was like, Oh, that'd be fun. I like doing stuff with my hands. So, you know, took it intending this to be like one of my last classes to take in school. And I just like loved it so much. And I could just felt so natural. I was like, wow, this, this is who I am. 
how did I not know this before? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why and do so, you think you were, had that blind side to you? Like, why didn't you see it? Mm. Was it the words that are messages about what being an artist meant? Yeah. Well, I think part of it was like, you know, financial instability uh, was definitely part right. of it, you know, not having the same kind of respect maybe in the general community mm-hmm. as other professions for yeah. sure. Wanting to be successful and mm-hmm. stable. Yeah. And not things you usually think mm-hmm. of nope. <laughs> <laughs> related to artists. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, uh, you had that one class and then, and that was it. Like I literally yeah. just took nothing but art courses. I mean, and of course the, the rest of the basics. Yeah. But yeah, that was the, you know, I, I took probably too many classes and did a lot of independent studies in sculpture and, uh, also did, you know, other, other media, um, video through the video production department at the school mm-hmm. and added that to my practice and just kind of experimented and was just like, uh, oh, this is I want more and more and more and more. Yeah. And then I graduated. <laughs> Did you have any really influential teachers or? Yes. Yeah. It was the, that first professor I took who ended up actually being my, my mentor through, through, mm. through the rest of my career there. I'm a sculpture and ceramic professor mm-hmm. and uh, Mark Monroe still teaches there. Oh, wow. Really amazing. Yeah. Like he, he you know, he has a, a reputation for being a bit cantankerous, but like totally got through that and like super endearing, wonderful person and really pushed me. And, uh, yeah, I mean, even like, I think of like the aesthetics of his work was really influential. Hmm. Uh, he also has a lot of found object work. So um, he was, uh, the type of teacher that's actually practicing what they preach. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And during college, was there a performative aspect to what you were doing? Had that entered the picture at all? He definitely introduced our classes to performance work, but you know we didn't really have much of a program for that. I would say mostly I explored that somewhat through the video work mm. that I was doing. Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't really even see, yeah see myself as being performative. I, would, I I was interested in it for sure. Like it was something new and different, and just like like whoa, that was something I had never grown up uh, being exposed to so yeah yeah it was really so there were no acting classes or anything like that or dance um, or movement no not really i mean i did a, i did experiment a little bit in theater in college but mm-hmm. nothing nothing crazy so you graduated and then what mm-hmm. happened um freaked out okay <laughs> as most artists tend to do because <laughs> you're like okay i studied art now yeah. can i make a living or yeah. what am i gonna mm-hmm. do so by this point, most of my family had moved or relocated to the Houston area. Okay. Um, but I didn't want to go directly there. I was like, I want to kind of try my own thing. Uh, Dallas being the closest city and one that I would kind of been familiar with mm-hmm. uh, just because, you know, the proximity to where I was going yeah. to school and we'd, we'd go there once in a while. So I was like, okay, I'm going to move to Dallas and give this a shot. I kind of knew some people there, kind of could be a support system. Yeah. And moved down there, didn't have a job. There's a pretty big art scene there. Yeah, no, it's actually a great art scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, lots of stuff going on, great stuff. Uh, great restaurants, too. That was that also helped the mm-hmm. move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I stumbled into a, a graphics production type job mm-hmm. for um, the Weekly Rag there. Mm-hmm. And just sort of fell into that. It was like, it was like okay, this is kind of creative. I can, I can probably fake my way through this and and that's exactly how i got the job i I fake my way through an interview they're like okay here's the program we use design this ad for us as the interview 
Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd been, you know, I'd loved computers and really loved playing around with them when I was in school. And so I was like, okay, I can kind of see what comes out of this. And yeah, I fooled them enough that I got the job. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I was only there three years in Dallas. And by the end, I had uh, actually became the advertising art director at the the RAG. And that was kind of okay. a weird trajectory. <laughs> uh, did a lot of freelance design work. I was awful at it, but, you know, I still was able to oh, <laughs> make some money at it somehow. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and I, I still use it from time to time now, especially for other projects that I do, if I'm designing a catalog or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those skills came in handy. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then just found my way down here in Austin. Uh, a friend came to live here and um, wanted to visit her and like, just like, wow, why have I not been here this whole time? This is such a be- much better fit for me yeah. than Dallas. And yeah, and now it's uh, just just celebrated 17 years here. So nice, and the rest is history. <laughs> it is. Well, we got to get into that. I want to hear the whole thing. So yeah, maybe you know when you look back 17 years ago to now, like how do you see your trajectory as an artist? It's it, yeah, it's kind of hard because I'm. I feel like I'm still in the middle of it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it it was interesting at first like especially when i first moved here like the was a much smaller scene mm-hmm. uh very much dominated by by ut grads okay so with fewer opportunities you know it's a, they get first dibs sort of okay kind of thing yeah and that, that's actually the how uh, my collective los outsiders started yeah was just sort of trying to figure out a place for for us so that started kind of early on mm-hmm. in your life here yeah yeah my the first show i was in here uh was in one of the YLAs at Mexicarte, mm-hmm. the Latino artist series that they do every year. Yeah. That's where I met the other Los Outsiders. Mm-hmm. And uh, the curator of that exhibition had never introduced the artists to each other. So I was like, okay, I want to develop a network here. And so I kind of went around trying to figure out who made what and wanted to keep in contact. And yeah, that's sort of what happened. And, mm. and there's four of you, right? Or is it more? No, no. There's there's three of us now. Oh, there's three. Yeah. Okay. There, there were originally three. We added uh, a fourth, and then one of the original founders left the group. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Jaime Castillo, Hector Hernandez, and then we now have Robert Jackson Harrington. Right. And Jaime has left the group. And how has that contributed to your life as an artist? That group. How does that factor? Yeah. Into no. It? More than anything, it, uh, it's it started my curatorial passion. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Because originally we just started out doing video blogging about the Austin art scene. So we'd go to openings, we'd get footage and then we'd come back, look at it and then like record our conversations about the work. And then oh, nice. um, I would edit it together to make these little videos and it was really fun, but it was like anyone who works with video knows it's super time consuming. Yeah. And we just couldn't turn them around fast enough, you know, having a day job and everything. And it was just like, it just got to the point where I was like, I, I can't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I'm just spending way too much time editing and, um, I feel that way yeah. with the podcast sometimes. Like <laughs> a lot of uh, the interview is the fun part, and then there's exactly. hours of sitting at your computer. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, I get that. Yeah. But um, then we had this great opportunity to uh, curate a show mm. in Nuevo Laredo, Mexico. Mm. And we were like, okay, let's do this. I thought that it was just three of us at the time. And so we drove down there to kind of check out the space, and it was 20,000 square feet. Whoa. 
there was um, the Antigua Aduana, um, which used to be the warehouse for um, the immigration or customs. Customs. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and it was a beautiful old building, like hardwood floors, iron fixtures, and pillars, yeah. and it was beautiful. And we're like, we can't turn this down. This, you know, when are we going to get this opportunity again? And so we decided, okay, we can't fill it with our work, so let's get other people's work in here. And so we set about oh. trying to find artists who either had or were capable of making large sculptural work for the most part. Yeah. And that's how we, we got the exhibition together. And it was like a dream come true. Like um, we had like help and funding from the city. They like, we got hotel rooms for all the artists to come down with for the install. Mm-hmm. Um, Hector um, got someone to cater so that we could have food there and keep installing and not have to stop. Mm, wow. Yeah. They, um, they actually, they sent a, a, an 18 wheeler up to Austin to pick up all the work. Like it was just like this weird, for like, you know, our first time we're like, what is going on? This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't get this kind of stuff here. Um, That's huge. Yeah. yeah. And so it was, it was super great. Like, and what know. was the idea behind bringing all this art from Austin down there? Um, we we just had this idea. Well, there was the exhibition was called Art Crush, mm-hmm. hasta la basura se separa, and so it was a lot of like found object work. It was yeah, just like this community, and it was it was based on like Art Crush, like people whose work we've like oh, loved for a while, yeah. and like the three of us would just bring someone to the table and see how they kind of fit into that mix, and uh, yeah, it was, it was it worked really well considering like it could have been a horrible train wreck. You yeah, when you have three different tastes and. Um, but yeah, visually it actually worked really well and mm. uh, super great. Like that, they even sent someone from um, from the capital of the state to come like inaugurate the space, and there was a ribbon cutting, and we're like, "What is going on?" There was like press there, and it was like, <laughs> "This is like your first, <laughs> our big first, outing. yeah, yeah." It was insane. Like wow. you don't get that kind of stuff. And what kind so, of feedback did you get from locals and people that attended? It was great. Yeah, we got lots of press coverage, and like people there were like super impressed like just um i have this image that's still burned in my brain of like when they cut the ribbon and like people just streamed into the space mm. and we were like whoa this is really happening wow uh, yeah and the artists that were participating were super excited too and you know we, st- we still keep in touch and we we can collaborate with them on different things too mm-hmm. um and so that was there for gosh was it a year no i don't think it was a year maybe just short of a year. Mm-hmm. And then we traveled that show to box 13 in Houston. Okay. Yeah. Very yeah. Nice. And then we just kind of done that off and on over the years with other exhibitions. But yeah, that sparked my kind of interest in like doing that. Curating. Curating. Yeah. I was just like, I love this. Uh, very much like you're saying like about podcasting, like I get to just meet these people, learn about their mm-hmm. practice, get to know them as individuals, you know, I've developed great friendships through it. I, I love putting other people's work together. Um, I equate it to my installation work where I'm yeah. taking pre-existing objects and, you know, putting them in a uncertain context to say something. And, but in this case, it's the objects are already existing artworks. So yeah, I love that way yeah. of looking at it. I mm. think that's really neat. Yeah. That's kind of the main mission of, low side outsiders mm-hmm. to curate yeah yeah we consider ourselves a, a curatorial collective okay um and then since then it, it evolved even more to really wanting to showcase underrepresented artists mm-hmm. um you know ethnically or um gender or you know sexuality mm-hmm. just trying to kind of 
you know, break up the, the old boys club. And how has that developed into now? Like, what are you doing most re- in most recent years with mm-hmm. that? Our last uh, exhibition we did um, was at Distyle Gallery. Mm-hmm. And in that one, they had approached us about the, th- uh, the three of us that are still in the group collaborating to make new work. But that felt like so outside of our, mm. our mission statement that um, I proposed, like, what if we were each of us individually collaborated with another artist to make work for the space. Ah, uh, yeah. And so that's what we did. And so um, we had uh, an artist um, from the Valley. No, from Laredo. Mm-hmm. Uh, one from uh, San Antonio and one from Houston. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was really, really great getting to know these people. And, you know, again, it was like, okay, we were each doing our own thing and we we're like, okay, when we bring this together, hopefully this fits. Yeah. <laughs> and I, th- I think it did. Yeah. Nice. It was a fun, fun show to do. And how does curating affect your own personal work? Do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, again, just getting uh, introduced to other people's um, practice and yeah. you know, learning about that. Um, I think that's really educational. So you're like, okay, how do, how do they, you know, balance work life and, or you know, day job life and, and mm-hmm. their creative life. Just discussing ideas with them. Sometimes that'll that'll spur yeah. things. Uh yeah. Do you think it's important to as an artist to have a day job so there's not so much pressure on your art? Because I know some people believe in that and some people don't. Yeah. Ideally I would I would love to make work full time. Yeah. You know, unfortunately I'm not at that point right now. Yeah, uh, especially you know, have a mortgage to pay and right. Um, you know, I've been do, teaching for the past seventeen years, so like, you know, I have a certain uh, income level that I'm used to, and mm-hmm. being able to travel and take time off to do residencies and things like that. So it's like, ugh, I'd have to come into some money somehow. I think. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> if you pull it off, but if there was that stress to pay your mortgage every month that you mm-hmm. had to sell work or whatever do you mm-hmm. think that would affect the work itself uh, definitely well because like the work that i make generally doesn't sell yeah right um so yeah it would <laughs> okay <laughs> i'd yeah. take another direction altogether mm-hmm. that's true mm-hmm. okay <laughs> maybe we could just maybe we could talk about different aspects of your work like mm-hmm. whether it's photo or video or sculpture object art or installation performance maybe you could mm-hmm. just discuss each one of those Okay, sure. Kind of where they are presently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so presently, I've been doing a lot of performance work. Um, not intentionally pursuing that, but it's just kind of come into my path. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm just kind of going with it. Um, you know, like, not so much like it, like it's a sign, but just... Mm-hmm. It's uh, what opportunities are, are presenting themselves, and I do enjoy doing performance work. I don't want to solely be a performance artist mm-hmm. because I do feel like there's things that I can communicate better through other medium. I, I like the physicality of it. I like the immediacy and the the interaction with uh, the audience. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's really really powerful, and it kind of does take me back to those, you know that little experience I did have in theater there's you know that rush of um, the instant connection yeah so I, I do like that about it do you have a lot of fear before you go into performance 
Not really. No, it's weird. Like I do feel like I I kind of slip into another persona mm. when I do it, which is really interesting because I'm I'm generally an introverted person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have learned, you know, especially in the, in the art community, to kind of get out there and be a little more social. And um, you know, I mean, the Austin community is super welcoming, so that that's helped a lot. Yeah, I feel like I've learned a lot from that. Um, but yeah, no, I've I've. I think I'm more nervous, if you want to call it that, when I'm developing the work and, you know, trying to get the ideas nailed down mm-hmm. or, or or honed in. But when it actually comes to actually doing it, I'm, yeah, I, I don't know. I just sort of like try to be in the moment. So it's a little meditative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel that presence of the audience or the feed? How, how are you processing that feedback and how does that affect your performance do you think uh what i like to do with my work that i've done at least up to this point is i like to create a a structure for the performance and then i leave a lot of elements open to chance Mm. like recently i did a a couple of performances in chicago for three walls and um, columbia college Mm -hmm. and they were going to be outdoors in the public so one was like you know on the street pretty much in a, a little sculpture park. Yeah. And then another was in a public park. And so I knew like, you know, a, I'd, I'd be shooting myself in the foot if I was trying to be controlling of every aspect. So I left a lot of stuff open to chance. And, and I had to be because there were, you know, at some point like people would walk right through the performance, not even aware that something was happening. Yeah. Even though I was dressed like the statue of Liberty, like, okay. <laughs> right. Um, and just sort of like, uh, adding that to the to the piece and making it part of it, so or someone could come up and try to interrupt you or antagonize you or yeah yeah tackle I mean, I, you or in 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 the park there was one woman who just came up and she's like she was I mean not in, you know maliciously but she was like hey what are you doing and she was super curious and was just like oh and, and you know and I wasn't responding verbally because I wasn't part of the piece but like I was just sort of trying to incorporate her to it into it and she was just like just trying to figure it out and like just kind of wa- looking around and like trying to figure it out. I was like, Whoa, mm-hmm. cool. And then like, I, I think at one point she kind of got it. Cause I kind of see this look on her face like, Oh, okay. And then she, and she just kind of went on her way. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. That must be really interesting. I, I, uh, it makes me nervous to think about doing something. Like that <laughs> uh, yeah. I admire that you can do that. That's very cool. Yeah. I, I, like I said, it feels like a meditative thing for me. That's, uh, just try to be in the moment and just hmm. whatever is going to happen is going to happen anyway. So why, why freak out about it? But you have to have really clear intentions, I guess, about why mm-hmm. and what you're doing, yes. what you're going to communicate or yes. what you're trying to communicate. Yes. Yes. And do you feel like with your, so. your performances, it's possible to fail or how do you know when it's successful? You know, mm-hmm. mm, that's a really good question. Uh, I mean, just like with, you know, any art you put out there, like if you're at, at the opening for your for your own work, mm-hmm. you know, people aren't always going to be a hundred percent honest or you know forthright with what what their opinion is, because it's your opening, it's like your night or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to say, especially with like performance, because it's so subjective and so open to interpretation, and yeah, and like and people, it's still, I think it's still relatively new for a lot of people. Mm. So 
they're just trying to take it in. I don't know if there's always uh, space for them to process it on the spot. Oh yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. But, um, but you have a, will you go into mm-hmm. it hoping mm-hmm. to elicit something or a thought or a feeling? Yeah, no, 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 definitely. I mean, there, there's that aspect for sure where you're, for me, it's like all, all the elements. Have I hit this element and this and this and this? And if I did that, then I feel like it's successful. Uh, especially with something like the one I did in Chicago. Yeah. Where it you know, had a specific audience in mind. And, you know, some people may see it and not get it. And that's okay because it's not, that's not necessarily made for them. Oh, okay. They weren't necessarily the, the audience that it was intended for. Yeah. So. And maybe specifically with that, those performances up in Chicago, what were you trying to communicate or mm-hmm. what, who was the audience? Sure. So that uh, work was about the uh, Latinx experience, uh, specifically like Mexican American experience in the U S right now um, with everything going on politically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was dressed as the statue of Liberty and dancing to Spanish breakup songs, mm. songs that I'd kind of heard growing up. So a little bit of Rocio Dulcal, um, Juan Gabriel, Vicente Fernandez. Mm-hmm. And they all had like different aspects of breakup. So, you know, while well, one is like, you know, how could you leave me? I love you. Please come back to, I hate you. How dare you? Which I felt was like perfectly fitting yeah. with, you know, how we feel right now. It's like, there is like a breakup going on mm-hmm. uh, with this current administration. I should say it's definitely confusing and <laughs> yeah, painful. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like, you know, you want to love being in the U S but it's also like, it's rejecting you at the same time. So it's like, mm. kind of, you know, push and pull like stuff. a weird codependent mm-hmm. relationship. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and so the, I mean that one, the audience, you know, a lot of people aren't going to get eight. The, the songs were in Spanish. So people weren't necessarily uh, right. going to get that. But the people that did, you know, they really got they, it. They got it. Um, I think just the, the the visual of the Statue of Liberty, even like dancing cumbia in the, you know, in a park or something mm-hmm. like that. Just it It's going to resonate on, on some level. And I think people can easily get yeah. what it's about. So, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. And what, I mean, what drives you to do this work? Like, I don't know. <laughs> just, just like with any kind of the work that I do, I just, I have to. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, when I first moved to Austin and I started teaching, I think I spent like a year to a year and a half where I didn't make any work. Cause mm. I was in that transition period of just like, um, cause I, I teach elementary school and at the time I was teaching kindergarten and that was just like, totally wiped me out. Mm. And I, I had to really just kind of find a way to, fit it back into my practice because when I wasn't making work, I was just miserable. Mm. You know, I, I love the, a lot of aspects of education. I, I feel like I'm giving back to society in a way. Yeah. Making a difference. Yeah. And so there was that, but I just had this emptiness of like mm. huge chunk of me was missing. And so I just like, I have to make work even if it's not good work or even if no one's ever going to see it, just I have to do it just for me. Yeah. So, so when something when you do a performance or, you know, curate a show or create your own work and have mm-hmm. an opening, like mm-hmm. you just, it fills you up. I mean, is that, that's like fills that part oh, that's does. missing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, 
you know, when I'm in the studio and I like hit that stride where like, I know exactly where I'm going with this and, you know, it's things just fall into place. So you kind of know that it's, it's meant to be, it's that Zen. Yeah. I've just like, okay, I want to like linger in this moment for as long as possible. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. And what about, tell me about your more sculptural object art mm-hmm. work. Um, well, I, it's very much connected, I would say, to my performance work Okay, in that it uh, references the body. And it t- took me a while to like really solidify that in my brain because I was just always drawn, drawn to these materials. I work a lot with clothing and furniture and, um, and the fact that they reference the body they're i refer to them as like uh, fossils of the body because they mm. have the shape of it of where a body was or will be and you you can remove the the physical element of the body and it's still it's still there in a way yeah yeah so um yeah i just use clothing uh specifically for that and, and furniture like just to have a, a person is there uh, or I can at least re- referenced in some way mm-hmm. and I can say so many different things about it, whether, you know, it's culturally specific or just a, a general idea I'm approaching. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that work. Maybe tell me some, mm-hmm. tell me about some recent work like that, that you felt like was really successful and what it was and what it was saying and why it was successful. All right. Um, I did, an installation that I was really happy with um, at the Museum of Human Achievement uh, for their cage match series, mm-hmm. where they have a, a a trailer with a cage on the back of it, which I, I believe it's used for like transporting bales of hay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and I was approached by um, the curator of that program, uh, Ryan Hawk, and he asked me if I would make something for this for this, and and this again goes to like your audience. So for me, when I saw that cage, I automatically, my mind went to, um, like 18 wheelers because I, I have this thing ever since, um, several years ago where they found a lot of, um, undocumented immigrants yeah. dead in the back of one. And then recently it occurred also. Yeah. And just so, so like whenever I am driving by them, I'm always like, what is in there? Are there people in there? And are they like, you know, it's very dehumanizing and especially, yeah. you know, being left for dead and just abandoned. And all they want was, all they wanted was like a chance yeah. to get a better life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so for me, like that was the first thing my, my brain went to mm. because that's my experience, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I connect to, to my community in that way. So I wanted to make work about that in the cage. And so I used um, tool to make these kind of tubes that stretch from one side of the cage to the other and kind of fill the whole thing with that in this sort of matrix. Uh, and then in between, I had um, these red dresses. For me, a lot of the conversation about uh, immigrants, the thing that first comes to mind is these women and who are mostly like coming here a lot of times for opportunities for their children. Mm-hmm. And they're making these huge sacrifices. Sometimes they leave them behind, or sometimes they're coming here to be with their children. And so I wanted this work to speak to that. Yeah. And so I had these dresses kind of suspended in there. Uh, the piece was called uh, Suspension of Belief. Mm. So this sort of like, you know, they're taking that leap of faith, but it also referred to them 
being, uh, you know, in, in a, a liquid suspension, sort of like this um, solution where they're like being asked to dissolve themselves in a way mm-hmm. and be a part of something bigger that's not necessarily part of who they are. Yeah. And so, so that's where that works, but yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Are there any other more, as you referenced on your website, you talk about incorporating personal experiences into mm-hmm. your work and also at the same time addressing issues with society and perceived norms? Yes. Um, for me, like one of the more important and maybe formative uh, bodies of work that I, I've created was for a show I did at Grey Duck mm-hmm. a few years back. The show was called Chimera. And this idea of um, this, an organism that has different DNA in its, um, from one side of its body to the other. Mm. Uh, a lot of times, like you'll see those uh, cats in particular that are like split down the middle, like one color on one side and another mm-hmm. on the other. And I was, I was just fascinated by that idea of like duality and like this being existing that is, you know, completely different from one side to the other. And so I, I used the, this opportunity to, in the work to speak uh, about my bisexuality hmm. in, in, in one way or another and other aspects uh, of dualism in my life. Mm-hmm. And so from that, just like kind of speaking about myself, I feel like I'm kind of speaking about a larger community as well. Yeah, so, absolutely. So yeah, so there was that. And also just the idea of um, religion versus secularism in, in my life and my experience mm-hmm. growing up. Yeah, just this, these ideas of DNA and what's in there. And so that show was super important yeah. for, for my work, I think. Yeah. yeah. It also said on your website you had been trying to incorporate science and sci-fi and pseudoscience more in your work mm-hmm. lately. What, how, does that, uh, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge sci-fi nerd. Um, always have been. And, and just I just always kind of find elements of it seeping in either... Um, a lot of times through titles. Mm. Um, so like, you know, the, the whole chimera yeah. title that, that was kind of in referencing the DNA. And so uh, the, those, right. those sorts of elements come in. I've also created work that was like super kind of out there, sci-fi concept, but you know, not using materials that one would typically associate with that. Mm, I'm trying to think of any more recent examples. Yes. Uh, I, I did a, I did a performance at the Blanton for their sound space uh, mm. series. And through that one, it was this idea of not pseudoscience per se, more maybe kind of a, a mystical aspect of, um, it was speaking about um, the refugee experience mm. and kind of putting out, trying to generate uh, like a goodwill or a positive energy f- towards them. And this, um, I want to say it was like a four hour performance I did. It was an endurance wow. performance. It was very dance based and just kind of going through these repetitive motions for the four hours and then to, um, incorporating people in the audience into the piece and just sort of uh, through that trying to generate this energy that would go out there. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it actually does or not i don't i don't know but yeah i wanted to at least go through the 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 act of of intenting it Mm -hmm. yeah so was your video in some way kind of visually recreating 
the journey of a refugee. Definitely. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was just cyclical where I would, um, start off on one side of the room and do a lot of like jumping or crouching and making my way around, uh, these projected videos. Mm -hmm. And then I would come back to the front and then, you know, if there was somebody there who wanted to participate, I would take them with me on the journey Mm. and help them cross and yeah, I was very physically draining, very emotionally draining. It was mm. like, couldn't walk the next day. <laughs> it was pretty intense, but that's so wonderful that you did something like that. I really, I just think that's so needed. Yeah. I mean, it, it and then that kind of brings me to, to something about my work lately. I, I do feel like the politics have entered into it mm. a lot more, uh, especially after the last election, just because yeah. there was a brief period like, you know, December, January of last year, where it just felt like, why am I even making work? Like, it feels so hopeless, use, useless, hopeless, yes, in, in the face of all this. And it was just like, it took me a good while to shake that off. Oh. It was like, and then, I don't know, I, just, I don't remember how it happened, but I wanted to use, you know, one of the tools that I have mm-hmm. in order to do something per se, you know? And so, yeah, it, it, I don't know if it necessarily helped anybody, but it helped me at least process mm. through it and feeling more useful and, um, gave me a, a stronger sense of purpose. Um, yeah, but it, it definitely changed the direction of my work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, I definitely see that, you have the social practice work and your community art. And you mentioned in something I saw, you want to amplify the voices of people that maybe don't have a voice or Mm -hmm. it's hardly heard at all. Yeah. Yeah. You did that piece recently with the podium and the flags Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the park. Tell me about that. Yeah. So that was, uh, for the tempo program here in Austin, um, in which, um, you receive city funding to do temporary public art projects. And I, uh, with the help of, of other artists, I was able to build uh, a platform and a podium and five 12-foot-tall flagpoles that surrounded it. And I wanted to make a space, in a, a public space for people in this neighborhood where the, the piece was erected to get up there and express themselves whenever they wanted to, to feel empowered Mm. Um, you know, there, there's something about standing behind a podium. Like you just feel like you're, whatever you're going to say is going to be more important than yeah. if you were just, you know, say it to, you know, on a street corner or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that was, uh, over in, in Metz park in East Austin, mm-hmm. a neighborhood that's really quickly being changed through gentrification. Yeah. And specifically like right around the area where that is, um, there was a power plant that was decommissioned. Mm hmm. And so I wanted to kind of reference that in a way. So like this idea of like power and energy. And so that's where the flagpoles were like almost, you know, the piece was called El Capacitor, the capacitor. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was like, yeah, just kind of generate this power. Like lightning but, but rod. People, yeah, lightning too. rod, but also like people powered. Mm. Uh, almost like a transmitter in a way. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's like a two-way <laughs> energy yeah. interchange. And so I did uh, workshops at the recreation center there at Metz Park and kind of for me to learn about the community itself too. So I worked um, with their seniors program. I think there was like 
10 or 12 uh, senior citizens who would go there to take classes and do things. And so I did a poetry writing workshop with them. Um, and then they made their own flags out of uh, fabric. And then I also did the the team program. And so through those, I was able to acquire clothing that they donated Mm -hmm. of their own. And I made flags for the flagpoles. Yeah. So it's like, you know, and the whole idea of a flag is, you know, a lot of times you think of like staking your claim and like establishing a a space Mm -hmm. for yourself. So that's, yeah. Mm. And it was, it was really a rewarding experience. Um, At the, the end of the, the run of the piece did a performative work there where people were invited to write uh, things and come up and talk about whatever they wanted to, whether mm. it's their community, their lives in general, their experience. And it was really, really powerful. And um, yeah, it was fun too. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, since we, you just kind of brushed against that, I'm wondering mm-hmm what your thoughts are about the gentrification and kind of the, um, you know, art studio spaces and kind of generally the art scene in Austin, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what your feelings are about that? Well, you know, at at this point it's kind of hard to say, no, we got to stop and get this, you know, get these people out or whatever. Cause that would obviously, it's not practical. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I just feel like there needs to be more of a conversation about how to maintain what we have still in these communities Mm -hmm. in an ethical manner and how to do it with a conscience. That's my thing. Like, okay, development is fine. You know, obviously we can't stagnate, but we have to do it with a conscience. And like, how do we, sure, we can build these condos here, but how are we going to help sustain these, you know, families that have had these homes for generations, but then aren't going to be able to afford it once their taxes go up. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of where, where I'm approaching that. Um, you know, artists, we are usually the first wave of gentrification because mm-hmm. we find cheap places and we want to make work there. And then other people catch on because then it becomes trendy and cool yeah. and you know, the whole cycle. Um, mm-hmm. So I would love to find a way in which artists ourselves could, you know, be that conscience and figure out how to integrate with these communities better, hmm. um, how to incorporate them and sustain them, really. But you know, unfortunately, I don't have any answers right now. Yeah. yeah. Do you think anybody's who else is doing work towards that end? Do you think or doing good work? that you've seen yeah every conversation i've ever had with uh ron barry with Fusebox, like what they want to do like a lot of the projects that they are working on as far as like property development they they oftentimes no they always have these things in mind oh um yeah they're always trying to yeah they 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 have that conscience of the people you know Mm mm-hmm so yeah, I wish I wish the the city had a better idea. Yeah, um, because you know they obviously have the resources to to make these things happen. And do you think the people that um, you know a developer comes in, tears down some houses, builds a mm-hmm. condo, mm-hmm. condo or whatever they build? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think the person? I mean, it's hard; it's impossible to know. But do you think the people that are moving in have any sense of 
Mm-mm. what happened no or what's what the context of them in that community no no because because that conversation isn't out there or as public or as mainstream as it should be mm-hmm. yeah unfortunately like they they don't know the whole context of it they just say okay this is a place i want to live there's i can afford it and yeah i mean because our you know our society still is pretty segregated um, mm. financially especially and so we all live in our own little bubbles and you know for the most part and live the way we are we know how to live yeah and it's hard to, to get people to think outside of that bubble and realize um, the effect that they're having on other people mm-hmm. you know i i think it's even just like w- when you go to the grocery store and like you're walking down the aisle and then there's someone blocking the middle of the aisle with their cart and just kind of standing there oblivious to the fact there are people around them needing to get through until you say something and do something about it. And like, you yeah. know, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's, it's kind of like ingrained in our culture. It's just, you know, not be more aware of what's going on around us. Do you think a part of that is just kind of the trend of me, me, me and, focusing on the self instead of the group or mm-hmm. the tribe or oh, definitely. culture. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's what's going on politically right now. It's, it's, it's like me against you and we're not the same at all and all that, you know, everything's separate and yeah. I mean, I, I think it's just, you know, people live in oblivion. It's like, why should I, my, why should I pay taxes so that your kid can go to school or that, you know, this person can have health insurance or, mm-hmm. you know, it's all about, their money they're in that's their focus mm-hmm. so you have these you know single issue voters who are taxes 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 not realizing that that's affecting you know these people who don't have anything to stand on to to, to pull their bootstraps up and climb the ladder and then you know and then they wonder why crime goes up and you know, why quality of life goes down. And it's like, yeah. And maybe the money isn't actually trickling down. Oh gosh, no, (laughs) that (laughs) is definitely not what's trickling down. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about, uh, maybe on a lighter subject, Mm -hmm. um, what about comedy and humor? How does that factor into your life and to your work? I think I had read something you said about in your family, humor Mm -hmm. was really important growing up. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it still is like, um, lots of, um, practical jokes, lots of humor and joking around and teasing, lots of teasing. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, my dad had like this, I mean, he was all about humor. Like he much more social than I, than I, ever will be yeah uh he could like make a friend anywhere and in fact like he going to the grocery store uh thing again he would you know be he would joke around with the cashiers all the time mm-hmm. you know and like i remember as a kid like hearing the same jokes over and over and over but like he always like made these people's days yeah and so like you know looking back now i like i love that I admire that and I, I do see a lot of his humor that i've inherited um my brothers as well. Like we, we just have this weird twisted sense of humor and we love to, I mean, humor is like the way you cope with life. I think mm. at least that's how I do. Like I can't, 
Yeah, you always seem very mm-hmm. happy to me. I don't know if it's, I mean, it's a deliberate choice every day or you just kind of wells up inside of you, but you always seem yeah, very I tried positive. To. Yeah, I, I tried to, to focus on that. I mean, it's, you know, and we all have our moments. Yeah. Um, but I, I do feel like that gets me out of a lot of tight spots is kind of focusing on the humor and, um, you know, I try to use it when, when other people are, are feeling down to kind of mm-hmm. lift them up. Um. And yeah. How does that make it into your work? Like maybe some examples of mm-hmm. humorous <laughs> aspects. Yeah, of <laughs> it, it it sneaks in there. Like it it hasn't been as present since my work's taken a more political turn. Um, but it, you know, it does here and there. I mean, I, I think the whole idea of like seeing a Statue of Liberty dancing in the street. Um, yeah, you know, because basically I was mimicking like people who who dress like the Statue of Liberty and are twirling signs. Uh, to advertise yeah, or something for tax and so, services. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. And so you know, I think little little things like that, little uh, images, um, sometimes titles of the work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, once in a while, I do like to just make work just for fun too. That it's, you know doesn't necessarily have a message behind it, and in that in those kind of instances, I can be more playful and yeah. silly and yeah, show that side of myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess my final question would be how, how are you thinking about the coming year and what kind of things are you working on now or you're going to be working on this year, things that you're looking forward to or excited about? Mm-hmm. Well, this year um, I'm really focusing on self-care. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, the past several years have been wonderful. I've had lots of great opportunities and um, you know, if I, if I didn't have a day job, it'd be like perfect because like I, you know, I've worked a lot, I did a lot of, uh, new performances and installations and traveled a lot, mm. which was wonderful. But balancing that out with the job was just too much. And I feel like, um, I kind of like hit my saturation point to mm-hmm. where I was, I wasn't taking care of myself. Mm. Wasn't taking those moments to sit back and, um, digest what was going on and, I wasn't sleeping. <laughs> Big one right there. Yeah. That's so <laughs> yeah. So this this is the year of um, trying to say no more often. Okay. Um, but then there's that fear of like, well, if I start saying no, will ever get these opportunities again? And fear like, of missing out. Yeah, yeah. Or just like you know, what if this is the opportunity that leads to what I've been wanting? You know. Yeah. So I was like, Ugh. so there's a little bit of fear in that. But um, yeah, just trying to trying to relax more. And I, you know, I have a few projects here and there. I got some city funding for something else I'll be doing in the spring. I'm still working on, but I'm trying to pace myself. I think that's, that's the better word. I'm trying to pace myself. Yeah. I think self care Mm -hmm. is hugely important Mm -hmm. in, especially in these stressful times, because if you're not, Mm -hmm. if you don't have a good base in who you are and you're not going to be able to help anybody through your art. No, exactly. Yeah. You got to put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that I could almost imagine a performance coming out of that right, right there, that <laughs> visual of that doing that. All right. Well, I feel like we could just keep talking and talking, right? But um, I guess we'll leave it at an hour. All and, right. Uh, and we can always do a part two down Sounds the road. Sounds awesome. Sounds so, awesome. Thanks so much, Michael. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider sharing it with anyone that you think might get value from it. 
and also consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes at the bottom of the webpage for each episode, or also by tapping the Square Austin Art Talk logo graphic on your phone within the podcast app to discover more info related to my guests, their work, and many of the things we mention and talk about in the episode. Please don't hesitate to share any feedback so that I can continue to improve what I'm creating and make it more useful to you. Thanks again for your time and take care. Thank you.